Yo. Welcome to episode 170 of the Zaycoman Podcast. It's your boy, Mrs. ZCP from the A63, aka Mrs. Zaycoman, aka Pope County's number one podcast. How you doing today? Um, hey, if you know, you know, you knew this episode was going to be coming out late. I'm sorry about this. Um, in case you haven't been following for the last four episodes, um, y'all know my people is in town, so. I'm kind of doing this podcast on the low low. I'm just trying to find some time to do it. And it's pretty early in the morning compared to the usual episodes where we're probably doing at one o'clock in the afternoon. Here it is. The first part of this recording, um, it was about 8 a.m. this morning. This one is around 9.15 ish. So um excuse the volume of the show. Excuse the the background of the show, if you will. Um this has been it's been a pretty fun week so far, but yeah, like I said, I got my peoples in town, so this is going to be just a quick run through of the games. We're not going to give full breakdowns like we usually do on the show, um, only because A, like I said, I got my peoples in already, and B, we got another show to do, actually, because um, I did promise y'all two episodes this week, and I would never let my gang down like that. I promise. I would never let my gang. And yes, we are getting a double upload on Tuesday, next Tuesday, considering I won't be able to do a second podcast this week. It's just going to be a a two double upload next week. So we're still on schedule. Just we we flexing a little bit, kind of like the NFL. We we just flexing schedules at this point. So um, I believe we left off on Saturday's games because we did a late night review on Friday, if I'm not mistaken, I'm, pr- I'm pretty, like I said, I'm going through the notes, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, we did a late review on Friday, so we'll be starting off with uh, the Saturday games. First off, I do want to um, give a reintroduce, or reintroduce, reintroduction of the podcast. Of course, you know Mr. ZCP, obviously, but for today... I am your resident quiet man. Um, this is not meant to sound like a boring episode at all. I'm genuinely, I'm not bored recording this. It's literally because like, I'm trying to keep quiet. I'm trying to, you know, stay in my people's way because like I, said, I got people working in other rooms. I got people, you know, in the next room trying to cook. Like, believe me, we'll be back to the normal Zach home in, in, on the Saturday episode. Saturday? I'm tired, y'all. We've been getting no sleep for the last two days um, on Tuesday's episodes. So uh, without further ado, I think we'll get to the first Saturday game, which was the Toronto Raptors versus the Atlanta Hawks. Um, Admittedly, came to this game pretty late because, like I said, Saturday was, even though it was like one of my least busier days, it was still a pretty busy day for me because like I, said, I'm, I was out trying to get, you know, just stuff ready for uh, my company. So, admittedly, didn't get to, to catch a whole lot of this game. But I did catch the uh, OG Ananobi fourth quarter masterclass, which was a perfect surprise. Unfortunately, it was 
off or not because DeJounte Murray decided he wanted to take over all of a sudden in the, in the overtime. And what's interesting about the Atlanta Hawks is that literally it feels it's weird that this is like such a balanced um, team. First of all, you want if we want to talk about it, the alley-oop in the, at the end of the game. The alley-oop at the end of the game was actually pretty fire. But the Toronto defense, uh, the defensive collapse was maybe even worse. But to get back to the um, Atlanta Hawks point, it feels like this team is very balanced. And it's something I honestly didn't, even though I kind of hinted at it, it's something I, I honestly didn't expect was going to happen for the first and th- this early into the season. Because like you said, you for the first what, four years of this this new era of Atlanta, it's basically been the Trey Young show, and it's basically Trey Young and the Trey Youngs. Like there's literally just like the Trey Young show, and everybody just follows suit. But this season, we've had our John Collins performances, we've had our DeAndre Hunter performances, we've had our Dejounte Murray performances, we've had our AJ Griffin performances. Even Justin Holiday had a, a game where he hit like six threes off the bench. Like there's been certain um and yet Kakongo's had his uh energy moments, which he's also had in this game too. Um they they've had incredible performances across the board. And that's not something that we've really been accustomed to the Atlanta Hawks for the vast majority of this the the Trey Young era. Trey Young's been really a really good player and has occasionally won them games because of it. But this game felt like genuinely a cohesive unit, a 10-man rotation that actually worked. Even Aaron Holiday gave them spot minutes where he, I believe he took a charge at one point in um, early, it was sorry, late in the third quarter. He had, my bad, um, he had, I believe, two instances where, you know, like I said, he had, he didn't, block a shot but he had a good contest on a shot that missed i believe from uh scotty barnes which again like i said scotty barnes cool that he got to we got to see an aggressive scotty barnes but uh, we wasn't lying when we said that for Van fleet's knees would be shot by the end of uh by the time pascal came back it already looks like this man's knees has been shot um because this the, like the carry job for the first two three games post pascal was a fun little experience, but now it's definitely starting to catch up to his body. And by the overtime, that man's looked gassed. But good win for the Atlanta Hawks. Like I said, that that ending sequence was something I don't think any of us expected. To be fair, but um, yeah, that was whew. overall it was a good game though. At least for what I caught. Now, one game that I was able to, surprisingly enough, able to catch the vast majority of was the Orlando Magic and the Indiana, uh, Indiana Pacers. I feel like we say this every time we come back to a podcast, every two game, two three games we watch of, um, every two games we watch of Tyrese Halliburton. But the more you watch him, the more you see the Chris Paul comparisons or the, the next Chris Paul label being uh, put on him. I think it's genuinely justified at this point how he sees the floor. He's making, again, admittedly, a team that 
going into the season was not viewed as anything worth noting. He's making this team feel legit just off of his playmaking alone. And again, I understand, you know, take it with a grain of salt because he's playing against Orlando Magic. This is still a a competent basketball team in Indiana and a team that is currently the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. I understand, you know, we're what a quarter into the season, maybe, maybe, if that, but maybe closer to like a fifth of the season. But this still looks like a team, like this is a team that you could see competing up until game 82 and not a team that's given up 55 games into the season because they're tanking. Nah. And again, this is a relatively good Orlando Magic team. Like I said, I know Orlando's still dealing with their injuries, but this is still a pretty competent Orlando Magic team. They still got Wagner. They still got um, Bamba. They still got Bull. They got Suggs. They got the bench. Um, But this is, like I said, they were... They were basically similar to Toronto. They were just gassed by the fourth quarter. And that's when Tyrese Halliburton, basically, he slowed the game down. He played to his pace. And it worked out for them. On a side note, also a good game from Franz Wagner. But this was, this one really got away from this really got away from them uh, at the end. But Orlando still hasn't been bad this year. Their record is not... It, they were, honestly, the Orlando Magic's record does not uh, test to how good this team is. Next game we want to get into, because Minnesota and Philly is going to be a waste of my time, because, again, didn't catch a single second in that game, admittedly. The Utah Jazz and the Portland Trail Blizzards. The end of that game was, like I said, down the stretch of that game, um, the Utah Jazz, specifically, I want to point out, Laurie Markkinen hit probably two of the craziest shots I've seen all season. Like, I've seen a, I've seen a lot of crazy shots this season. I just watched Trey Young hit a half-court shot. I just saw Trey Young throw a half-court alley-oop for the game winner. But... And again, Jordan Clarkson absolutely gets his love. Malik Beasley definitely gets his love for that third quarter performance. But Laurie Markkinen in the in the fourth quarter again, you know, relatively for all game, but in the fourth quarter was the he looked. Legitimate, like and again, like I said, hit two absolute crazy sh- shots. But and even and which was crazy because Jordan Clarkson hit the exact same shot on the other end. Like, um, Larry, Mar- like, because again, I'm trying to describe the play for you, um, just off my memory because it's been four days already. Crazy enough. So, basically, he faked the dribble handoff, and. I think he he had pivoted. He he had pivot, pivot again, and then hit the turnaround fadeaway. And nothing but net. And then Jordan Clarkson essentially did that on the same move on the other end, and that kind of was the dagger, which I don't understand. 
this I I don't understand this Utah Jazz team at all. Like, I, I like I don't understand it, and then, I don't think I'm supposed to understand. It. I think this is something that you're just supposed to chalk up as an L and move on, because I genuinely don't understand how this team is this good. As for the Portland Trailblazers, um, honestly, which is crazy, both point guards getting injured in this game. Damian and Mike Conley got injured. Um, it was unfortunate, but Josh Hart down the stretch, I think, was um pretty good for the Portland Trailblazers. Unfortunately, a couple of bad misses, one from Anthony Simons and one from Jeremy Grant, basically sealed it. And then Josh Hart foul didn't necessarily uh help any of that. That honestly was a dumb foul, but. You know, like I said, still a foul nonetheless. Um, those two definitely kind of hurt a little bit for for the uh for Portland. Um, but overall, like I said, this was a solid game. They've had a solid season so far. I just like I said, this game was not not the one you wanted to choose to close out with Laurie Markin and Jordan Clarkson hitting fadeaway jumpers like it was nothing. Um, last game. Oh boy, again, admittedly. Only caught some glimpses of the Portland Trailblazers. Oh, sorry, I said Portland Trailblazers of the LA Clippers Spurs game because this was, you know, this was in the process of me just trying to get my house cleaned up. But I say the Clippers again, and again, you were gonna hear me say this a lot because the Clippers are a, a team that does this a lot. But they have so many, so many uh, moments where. Damn, the Clippers are a really good team. And then other moments is like, where is, what is this team? Like, what are they doing, bro? Like, you're going to have, again, you're going to have moments where inconsistencies happen. Sure, it's part of the game. But they've had moments in this season, which, you know, by the grace of God, they're still above 500. But... They've had moments this season where it's like it is unbearable watching this team play. But then you look at it in this game and it's like John Wall all of a sudden is like peak John Wall with the 15 assists. But Norman Powell gets hot. Paul George, you know, before he goes down, he gets hot. Reggie Jackson gets hot. Terrence Mann had a, a couple of, of threes in the second quarter that basically blew this game wide open. And then you look at like some of their performance, like just for an example, outside of maybe a five-minute stretch in the third quarter, the game against Detroit was pretty bad. They did not look like a cohesive unit in that game outside of a couple of of, of Marcus Moore's threes and Reggie Jackson's takeover in the late third quarter. Like, this, it wasn't a good team game. This Clipper, this game against the Spurs felt like a good team game. And it's obvious that the Spurs, you know, they have, they have fallen off a cliff since that, uh, that hot start to the season. You know, Devin Vassell was an MIP candidate at one point. But yeah, like I said, I think that, that ship has sailed, unfortunately. Which which sucks because like I said, this is basically Greg Popovich is in and it's been develop in developmental. All right, so we're now in the Sunday slate. Unfortunately, again, because like I said, it's football day. Let's be honest here, people. 
um, was able to catch maybe three games. Unfortunately, didn't get to see the Lakers win, which I know y'all was dying for me to talk about. We'll get into the Suns, us, the Suns Lakers game from last night because the finish of that game. I won't say the finish, but the last four minutes, five minutes was absolutely crazy. Um, but yeah, we'll like I said, we'll we'll definitely get into that in a little bit. But three games I was able to catch on on the Sunday slate was the Pistons, Kings, the Grizzlies, Nets, and the Warriors. Rockets. I caught the Grizzlies, Nets, obviously because it was you know Kyrie's first game back. The Pistons, Kings, of course, and the Warriors, Rockets. But we'll get into the Pistons and the Kings. Um. I feel like this is a weekly, or at least every podcast we're doing this, but Dwayne Casey, need to have a conversation. Admittedly, we'll talk about Dwayne Casey from last night, because Dwayne Casey from last night was actually good. Like I said, he made an actual good rotation, finally, but... The Marvin Bagley at center minutes are not working. And Sacramento discovered this way earlier than for some odd reason that the, the Pistons still haven't still haven't done this. But the, the Marvin Bagley at the center position is not working. And they figured this out last night, which is why Jalen Durant closed the game. And again, immediately immediately, like I said, I will admit this all day all day. Nikola Jokic killed this man in the fourth quarter. But he had a couple of really good contests when Jamal Murray went to the rim that I didn't think that Marvin Bagley would make. Um, he had a, a great PR switch on uh, on Jamal Murray um, around the two-ish minute uh, portion of the fourth quarter that led to a turnover in a, more, uh, a Kevin Knox dunk. Um, which we'll get into Kevin Knox, who in the last three games that he says he's been able to get uh, playing time has been a revelation off the bench for the Detroit Pistons. Um, effort in the, he's, His effort, his length, and his athleticism, and that's basically all you really want in the Detroit Pistons. Admittedly, I was not a fan of the signing, mostly because it's like Kevin Knox has not shown a whole lot in four years already being in the NBA. And like, why should I? Why should I care this much about Kevin Knox? But he's sim. He's proven. He's playing a similar role to a uh, Josh Jackson when he was in Detroit. Whereas, like, he's gonna he's the lengthy wing, lengthy, lengthy wing can shoot and like I said, just give a little bit of effort, and that's going a long way. Basically, we won us last night's game, but. Even it was like you know the, the I believe the three three pointers that he hit against Sacramento is essentially what kept us in the game. That and like I said, him probably of all the people that have uh, that guarded was probably the best uh, person, probably our best defensive player against that starting lineup. Because like they had a couple of people kill us, but overall it was he was probably the 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 mo- most. Physical with Harrison Barnes. He was probably the quickest on his feet when guarding De'Aaron Fox. And that basically is what kept us in it. But if you even you look in the Denver game, which again we'll get into in a little bit, he showed a lot of those same qualities when going up against a Nikola Jokic, when going up against a Jamal Murray, when going up against a Michael Porter Jr. 
he didn't back down. That's basically all you want out of your guys if they're not going to give you a crazy amount of points, which even, you know, for the role that he plays, he gives you points, which is kind of what he was doing with the Knicks, but they didn't really use him that well. Um, but yeah, back to the Pistons-Kings game. Um, yeah, the Marvin Bagley at the center position is not working, and that was heavily exposed. It was... Uh, it's been heavily exposed a couple of times. I'm going to be completely and utterly honest with you. It was like that in the Laker game. It absolutely was like that in the Clipper game. And it really, really... It was... It, I will say this. It, it maxed out at the Kings game. Because of De'Aaron Fox being probably the quickest point guard in the NBA and getting to the basket. It was unfortunate to watch, but like I said, those those games happen. Next that I want to get into, because now we're in the intriguing part of the NBA schedule. The Memphis Grizzlies and the Brooklyn Nets. Now when you know it was announced that Kyrie Irving was coming back, I'm like, yes. We're getting Kyrie versus Ja in his first game back. Tell me why I turned my TV on and I'm getting Ben Simmons versus Dylan Brooks. You heard me, folks. Ben Simmons versus Dylan Brooks. Yeah. Probably the one positive is game, this game, the Brooklyn Nets shooting 60%. And a lot of that being Ben Simmons getting to the basket because nobody else, like Kevin Durant had a quiet 26, but it's Kevin Durant. You're going to get 26 out of Kevin Durant. Admittedly, this game was not nearly as fun as I thought it would be, but I still got some enjoyment out of it. I got to see Dylan Brooks take 30 shots. That was the biggest note that I wrote in this game. It was like, yeah, Dylan Brooks, like, yeah, I feel like Dylan Brooks is just chucking at this point. And what do you know? You look at the box score, and Dylan Brooks is shooting 30 shots already. This was not Memphis Grizzlies basketball, which, again, we'll get into because Ja came back last night, and although they lost, God, did they look a lot better, especially in the, at the end. Like I said, that comeback was almost... We'll get into it with the Sacramento Kings, but oh boy, that was last night was was a hell of a ride, admittedly. Next, I want to get into um the Golden State Walkers. Golden State Walkers. I'm talking y'all, bro. I'm I'm not on my game. <laughs> I'm tired beyond end already, and we still got another show to do. Warriors Rockets. This was definitely the Clay Thompson game. Um, unfortunately, like I said, this is the stark contrast to what we saw against the New Orleans Pelicans. But at least with this this Warriors lineup, admittedly, they look like a competent basketball team. And again, I hope they look like a competent basketball team against the Houston Rockets because the Rockets are the worst team in the West. But like this, this I felt like this was the game to get them back on track. And then all of a sudden, 
none of the Warriors starting lineup, except for Kevon Looney for maybe five minutes, played against New Orleans, and then boom, they get bust by 40 points. And it's like, what is the Warriors' goal this season exactly? I understand they want to win a chip. Everybody wants to win a chip. But what is the goal for this team if in the in the short term? Because again, I understand maybe, you know, Steph and Clay and Wiggins and I guess Draymond too don't want to play regular season game, that 82 regular season game. But you are actively putting your team in jeopardy by not uh, playing those games. Because again, don't get it twisted. The Warriors are still under 500. Like, yeah, they had this good game against the Rockets, but they're still 8 and 10. I'm not going to give the Warriors the benefit of the doubt because of, you know, pedigree and and experience. I'm not. I can't give them the benefit of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt in 2022 going into 2023 in about 37 days, 38 days. I can't give them the benefit of the doubt. They're gonna to have to show me again this year that they can win because after a couple of absolute atrocious performances, they had a unbelievably bad one against the Clippers. They had one against the Pistons. They had one against New Orleans, which we'll talk about. They've had a few shitters in the last two weeks that make me nowhere near as confident in this team as I once was. That is unfortunate, man. We are now into the Monday slate. This is the second of the back-to-back between the Orlando Magic and the Indiana Pacers. Um... Tell me why I was more infatuated than Tyrese Halliburton. Again, God, I feel like we've had this conversation a lot. But Tyrese Halliburton is playmaking at an all-time level right now. And it's the dead reason the Indiana Pacers are like a top four or five team in the Eastern Conference. You know, almost a quarter into the season. Like this could very well fall off a cliff, but genuinely, I am invested in how far Tyrese Halliburton can take the Pacers this year, which is a conversation you would have never caught me having two months ago. I was I'm on record on this podcast for saying that the Indiana Pacers were likely going to be a 14th seed, maybe a 13th seed, because I I felt Tyrese Halliburton was going to have a breakout year. This is a team competing for a playoff spot a quarter into the season, which admittedly, I can't say about a lot of teams, <clears throat> Detroit. But next we can get into the Chicago Bulls and the Boston Celtics. I felt like DeMar- uh, DeMarcus, DeMar DeRozan has finally woken up, y'all. After the quietest start to the season. Quiet by DeMar DeRozan standards, I'll put it that way. Quiet start to the season on a bad team, nonetheless, because the Bulls had a pretty bad record going into this. Um, 
admittedly in the in the like I said, he's had a couple of games where like he's basically carried and they ended up losing, but none of them were his fault. A long losing streak. You coming into this game, you're playing one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference in the Boston Celtics, and then you start to get the, off to the hot start to DeMar DeRozan. Granted, a cold finish, admittedly, but the absolute hot start that DeMar DeRozan got off to basically opened this game wide open. You also got great defensive performances from Alex Caruso, even though the numbers won't show it. Alex Caruso and Javante Green were also the main key contributors to this defense being anywhere near probably the best defensive performance I've seen from the Chicago Bulls this season. Honestly, probably in the last two seasons, if I'm being honest. Basically, since Alonzo Ball went down, this is probably the best defensive performance I've seen from this team. Held both of the Celtics' top elite scorers to a, a uh, under 40% shooting. Well, Jalen Brown under 40, 40%. Uh, Tatum around 40%. You held them, held Al Horford to zero points. A guy that shot, what, 42% from three-pointer this season on about five attempts a game. 0 for 7 from three this week. 0 for 9 from the credit game, but 0 for 7 from three. You held the Celtics, who again are a all like on an all-time pace when it comes to three-point percentage and all and three points made. 19 for 50. Which is a good percentage. That's still 31 misses. The Bulls 14 for 29. 15 misses. The rebounding. I'll rebound to Boston by 13. Like, those were the two key contributors. And again, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Chicago runs a lot bigger than Boston does. You know, outside of the, the little five minutes that Luke Kennard, Luke Kennard, Luke Cornette plays in the, in the Celtics rotation. The Celtics run small the vast majority of the time. They're running Al Horford at the five. Sometimes you're they're running Grant Williams at the five. And those Grant Williams at the five minutes do hurt the rebounding a ton. Because, again, now you're basically going up against Andre Drummond, which his calling card in the league these days is his rebounding. And Nikola Vucevic, who, uh, in that similar mode, he can get you a couple of buckets. But for the vast majority of the season, he has been a rebounder. DeMar DeRozan's Honestly, a bigger frame than than uh, Jason Tatum is. And they got scrappers on this team like Patrick Williams, like Javante Green, like Caruso, um, like Ayo Desunu, guys like that that can scrap whenever needed to. And I think that's, was, that's what is uh, at least keeping Chicago afloat. Because, again, that offense has not always been there this season, admittedly. And the overall defense has not been there for the vast majority of this season. But for some reason, when they go against the Boston Celtics, it's usually how that goes. Because I believe this is their their third win in Boston, or third straight win against the Celtics. They had two earlier this year, and then one towards the end of last year, where uh, they beat Boston as well. But... Hopefully Chicago can continue this this momentum because, like I said, beating a team like the Boston Celtics, who, like I said, just came back from the finals and is currently, you know, top three seed in the Eastern Conference, 
you know, like I said, beating a team like that is absolutely going to get you a lot of confidence. And hopefully when they eventually do get healthy, I think that, like I said, that defense still is as good as it was against the Boston Celtics. Man, that was a, that was a fun one to watch defensively. Next, I think we're about to get into it now. Um, New Orleans Pelicans and the Golden State Warriors. Again, I'm not going to take this game with any, uh, like I said, I'm taking this game with as many grains of salt as I can possibly muster up because, like I said, obviously the starting five didn't play for the Warriors, and they got a couple performances. They got Kuminga, and they got Jordan Poole, but like I said, this this game was a chore to watch. I'm going to be honest with you. I honestly don't know what I was thinking when I was like, I'm going to pencil this in as one of the games that I watched. Yeah, this this was a honest. Uh, we got a good Brandon Ingram performance, which I feel like we've we've basically said this the vast majority of the season, but at least from you know when he's played, the vast majority of when he's played, we've said hey, we got a good Brandon Ingram performance. Yeah, like I said, Brandon Ingram's a good basketball player. You're going to get that. Um, Devontae Graham woke up, woke up, which is a surprise to me. <laughs> This man, but again, overall, this was this was genuinely a chore to watch. I will full bone admit it. I watched this basically for my own parody, and to be fair, it kind of worked. I got a good laugh out of it. But overall, like I said, this this game was genuinely a chore to watch. Next, the New York Knicks and the OKC Thunder, baby. I'm not going to do my uh, my annual Shea Gilders Alexander should be an all-star speech because, you know, y'all have heard that a hundred times already this season. But I would love to make a public apology on this podcast. Rarely I do this, but I think this one is more than justified. I would like to make an apology to one Jalen Bronson Jr. the third here, son of Rick Bronson. I'm sorry that I said that you signed that deal was your death wish. Because now the Knicks are a 500 basketball team and Jalen Brunson had a season high 34. Um, Immediately after seeing Emmanuel quickly being shopped rumors, I'm like, are we really doing this this year? But... And apparently we're not going to do this year this year because immediately after, I mean, Manuel quickly um being shop rumors come out, this man has 18 off the bench. And again, I don't know if that's going to ever going to change people's minds about him. You know, I think he probably still will be a um he'll probably still be sat, but hopefully a team picks him up and uses him right. Because I, I feel like he still has the potential to be a really good scorer in the NBA. Something I have noticed as well, and again, we noticed it a couple pods ago, but what is up with Evan Fournier, bro? <laughs> like, genuinely, what has happened to Evan Fournier? Like, is he, is it a coaching thing? Is it a, like, is it, does management not like him? Did, did he sleep with the boss's daughter? What happened to Evan Fournier to where he's not playing? They gave him that 
fat contract last year. This man had two good games against the Celtics and has fallen off the face of the earth. Like, what has happened in the last six months that has completely soured Evan Fournier? Like, the Knicks, admittedly, are far from a great three-point shooting team. You would think even the 15 to 20 minutes of Evan Fournier would help that. They shot 32% in this game, despite the win. They shot 32% from three. You would think Evan Fournier's presence would help a little bit. Granted, I don't know who you sub out because everybody in this New York Knicks rotation needs playing time. And even then, it's like um, no Cam Reddish either in this game. But like I said, you still got Q Grimes, you still got RJ, still got Jalen, you still got um Deuce McBride, you still got Emmanuel Quickly. All young guards that need playing time. So I don't know where the Evans and Fournier playing time come unless you just want to run straight smalls. But even then, it's like Obi Toppin, um Jericho Sims, Obi uh, and uh Zay Hartenstein are the like the the big pieces in that New York Knicks uh front court. That all again all need playing time. So it's like I understand maybe the the, but it's like it's like the situation with uh Duncan Robinson in Miami where it's like they gave him a fat contract. He plays a few games and now is no longer like even a com- a hot commodity on the trade market, let alone in his own organization. Which I find that pretty. I find that pretty weird in my my personal opinion that all of a sudden, you know, there's zero value in having an Evan Fournier in, in the locker room or, so, or an Evan Fournier on the floor. Obviously, he's still in the locker room, but not having Evan Fournier in the rotation is kind of a, a bug, to be fair. Next, I think we uh, – shall we? We're gonna, we'll get into it. The Utah Jazz and the L.A. Clippers. Um, again, admittedly, only caught like the last probably two minutes of this game because I just got back from a dinner with my family. But like, I had admittedly not seen. I have I was able to catch Norman Powell at the very end of the game, but besides that, again, like I said, caught little to nothing from from this game. Uh. But again, we got a good Norman Powell performance. We got a good Reggie Jackson performance. But like I said, just was not able. I was like I said, I caught a little bit of Norman Powell towards the end, of the end end of the game, like in the last like three minutes. But like I said, was not able to catch a, a whole a ton of that. But we did catch a ton of Tuesday action in the NBA. We'll see. Like, well, I'm gonna look at the Wednesday schedule today because I know there's a lot going on on Wednesday. And again, I probably won't be able to cover this all in its totality, which is why we're pushing the double podcast on Friday instead of, or sorry, a double podcast on Tuesday instead of on Friday, uh, a Friday show. But I think there's a total of twelve games on Wednesday. A uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Yeah, twelve games on Friday. Or sorry, 12 games on Wednesday, and I believe it's 12 also on Friday. So you're definitely going to be getting a double upload on 
the uh on the Tuesday show. But last night all all four games had a significant beat story beat either going into it or going or that developed throughout the game. First, New uh, Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers. This was a... Okay. How do we want to put this game? Because there's a couple of ways I want to put it. Defensively, from the 76ers, especially in the fourth quarter, was... I want to give... All right, first off, I want to give my absolute praise to Tobias Harris. And let me get, again, this was the night of former Detroit Pistons, to be fair. I want to give my absolute love to to Tobias Harris. 16 points, I believe, was the number um, post-ankle injury. Honestly, when I first saw the injury, I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) The 76ers legit can't deal with any more injuries because... They're already running on paper skin right now. And um, and now Tobias goes down. I'm like, oh, Lord. But then he comes back. And then has a master class. Honestly, looks quicker going to the basket. He, he looked more comfortable going to the basket post-injury than he did pre-injury because he looked very scared attacking uh, Nicholas Claxton. And... I think after that, it kind of lit a fire under the 76ers. Now, admittedly, I do want to say um, not everybody looked uh, good. Uh, Montrezl Harrell looked incredibly bad, both guarding the pick and roll or just guarding in general because, honestly, first of all, this man is not a starting center in the NBA. I think he he never, honest to God, never was a starting center. He thrived being a backup, and Lakers using him as a starter was an absolute train wreck, but we'll get we'll ignore that. Um, I want to give a special shout out to B-Ball Paul, Paul Reed, get in a spotlight. Finally, I feel like it's been forever and a day since uh, the name Paul Reed ever got in grace my timeline, but I'm absolutely like amazed at how well the role players play for the 76ers, which begs to question, why are they only nine and eight with a good rotation like this? You got the again. You got Tobias Harris, who finally was able, he was comfortable getting to his spots. Basically, I was never, never really questioned Tobias as a number one option in this game because he had played the number one option for at least four different teams at this point in his career. But the love Shake Milton was getting because again, hadn't seen Shake Milton since he dropped forty on national TV not too long ago. It's been about two years uh, at this point. Drop 40 on national TV. That was like my guy that we had been preaching for the last couple of years. I'm like, yeah, I think this is going to be a shake Milton year where he finally gets that, that, that six man type of love. Did not get that type of love this, uh, so far this season. And it's finally getting the show in this game. The Anthony Melton, I told y'all, was the most underrated trade so far this offseason. I think I thought was an excellent grab from Philly. I thought he would more be more of a defensive role, but in this game, he showed his offensive chops too. Um, George's Niang, we we again we've given love on this podcast before about his three point shooting. Um, PJ Tucker, despite being scoreless, I believe the last maybe five games or so, the defense that he has played in those five games 
has genuinely been like all time stuff. It's been it like and again, it's against all different types of players so too, which is probably the more um probably the the best way I can describe it because it's like in the last four games, he's guarded Laurie Markkinen, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Carlton Towns, Kevin Durant. His and again has held all four of them to below average games from those players' standards. All to below average games. And again, I understand PJ Tucker is not, he's never going to score the basketball. The man's averaging four points a game this year. He's averaging more rebounds than points. If I do, if I do, if I do say so, I believe he's averaging more points or rebounds than points, but don't, don't question me on that. But anyways, back to the original conversation. This man is forever going to be an all-time level defensive player. Just pure one-on-one. He's never going to average three blocks a game. He's never going to average three steals. He's never going to win defensive player of the year. But he is an all-time one-on-one defender. And you cannot argue with me about that. He's been. This is a performance that B.J. Tucker has been giving for years. This is what the Miami Heat are missing currently. This was what the Houston Rockets was missing when, you know, unfortunately, like I said, he had to play the center spot. So they missed his perimeter defense like crazy. Um, it is an absolute crying shame that this is being uh that this was being wasted by so many teams. To uh, Phoenix, Toronto, Houston, Milwaukee was able to use him in the starting lineup and effectively, which is why they won a chip. And then Miami. Oh God! Hopefully, Philly is not the team to waste. Uh, it's going to be. It's not going to be another team to waste. Them. I hope they use him properly as a perimeter defender, and then, you know, let him hit his corner threes again. He hasn't hit his corner threes in quite some time. Actually, I believe the first game Atlanta was the last time he hit a three pointer. Um, but overall, like even with the the majority of the misses, the defense is always going to be there. You you can trust PJ Tucker to play defense could play out time. And I hope that's uh that that's the um my, that's that's what uh goes down in Philly. Hopefully that's like I said, that's what they're uh what they're doing long term. Well with the Brooklyn Nets, the admittedly the non Ben Simmons minutes were I can't believe I'm about to say these words, but the non Ben Simmons minutes for the Brooklyn Nets were bad. Royce O'Neal basically being the primary point guard because you still, for some reason, have like this, this, this disdain for just trying to keep a consistent rotation. There's no reason that Cam, one of Cam Thomas or Edmund Sumner, should not be playing. I love Patty Mills. Heck, I love everybody on the Brooklyn Nets. Honestly, like I said, they like the, these are all cool personalities, all cool people, all solid NBA players. But you can't tell me that one of those because again, Patty, if Patty Mills is not hot, like if he's not making four three pointers in the first ten minutes of him being on the floor, there's no. I honestly don't see a reason that he should be on the floor because he's not really the playmaker that you want him to be. He's absolutely not a defender. At least Cam Thomas is a bigger body and can get to the basket, or I should say a taller player, so he can get to the basket easier and get some buckets. 
Edmund Sumner, even in the uh in the garbage time minutes, got his buckets, but there was no reason that one of those guys should not be in the game. If again in the non-Ben Simmons minutes, because again, Royce O'Neal playing forty minutes in some of those at the point guard position was not the key. It was not the move. And I, I can't believe Brooklyn even for one second thought that that was the the answer to their problems. And that basically was the beginning of the end. Next, the Sacramento Kings versus the Memphis Grizzlies. I do not understand how for the life of me the Sacramento Kings won this game. <laughs> the last, basically the last four minutes, they were trying to lose they were trying to lose like it wasn't they were not trying to hide it at all i'm talking intentionally bobble passes um that led to dunks on the other end like leaving dudes open in the corner this was peak sacramento kings in like last 15 years sacramento kings basketball but they won this game, which makes me think that this is going to be a playoff team. <laughs> like, l- intentionally losing this game and still winning this game made me think that this team would be a playoff. Hey, I'm on record for saying this team could potentially be an AC. I'm on record saying that. So if they honestly do make the playoffs, boom, that makes me look like a genius. But... Don't get me twisted. This Kings team was not supposed to win, and they still won. Um, we got to see John Morant come back in this game. Uh, honestly, didn't look too bad. Like I said, in like I said, the the numbers will say he looked elite, but like I said, there was still a couple of um plays where he was he was kind of getting stopped at the basket. Um. Whether on the perimeter by Terrence Jones or said Terrence Jones, God, I'm probably where the name where the name Terrence Jones even come from? Um, Terrence Davis or in the paint by Shabizzi Metu and in uh Demonte Sabonis, but still, a lot of plays where you know he looked explosive and and it looked like the ankle didn't really bother him all that much, um. But the Sacramento Kings, man, like looking like a true NBA, uh, basketball team. And that's weird to say from the Sacramento Kings for the last 15 years we've seen, you know, like this this team has been a train wreck, to be fair. This franchise has been an absolute train wreck. But it looks like the turnaround is real. Next. Admittedly, this game was stressing me out. Honestly, we I, I gathered the family to watch this game because I wanted to see the collective breakdown of when the Detroit Pistons was going to blow this game. I I, I said around the three minute mark is when Denver goes on like an eleven zero run, and that's basically what ended. We gonna lose this game by six or seven because that's been the vast majority of the Detroit Pistons this season. Is good three and a half quarters. The last six minutes are absolute dog water. 
First, I would love to give all the praise in the world to one Alec Burks. I feel like Alec Burks hit every single shot in the last eight minutes of this game. Like, there was a good five-minute stretch where we didn't score, and then Alec Burks just turned it up. We got two uh, Boyan Bogdanovich free throws and a Kevin Knox dunk off of a well-timed defensive play by Isaiah Livers. But I was very much looking forward to the Detroit Pistons losing this game and me going on the timeline as he fired Dwayne Casey. But Alec Burks, granted, Alec Burks had, well, Boyan Bogdanovich had a couple boneheaded shots in the fourth quarter. But Alec Burks had a boneheaded play um, where he traveled. And um, it, Killian Hayes did too, which stressed me out a little bit. But Alec Burks had a, a play where he traveled, and I'm like, no, this is, the, this is where we lose. And then um, I think it was Jamal? It might have been Jamal Murray. Um, missed a dead open mid-range shot. I believe it was Jamal Murray that missed a dead open mid-range shot. Um, Bruce Brown also missed a three-two, but um, this was they like I was looking forward to seeing. Ugh. I was looking forward to seeing that L, but the Detroit Pistons ended up with a comeback. Alex Alec Burks in the last three minutes turned into prime Kobe. And that helped us beat one of the best teams in the West. We just beat the two teams that I thought would go to the conference finals this season, which, again, says something about me, but whatever. Um, the Denver Nuggets and the Golden State Warriors. Every And, again, I saw this on the timeline earlier, like this early this morning. The Pistons only have four wins this season, but those four wins have felt important beating the Orlando Magic on opening night you know basically in the battle of the two top healthy number one uh the two top healthy picks because at that point Keegan Murray was injured um Chad Holmgren was injured and Jabari Smith hadn't played yet so it was basically the, the battle of the first two picks that were eligible to play and it was a class and a, ma- a master class that the Detroit Pistons won then the next game was Beating the NBA, or uh, no, at that point, it was uh, the comeback win against OKC. That was uh, a pretty big statement win in the fourth quarter, led by Killian Hayes, of all people. Then there was beating the NBA champion, Golden State Warriors, and then immediately going on like an eight-game losing streak that ended last night against Denver. And beating a team with the MVP, um, basically this year's comeback player so far. And one of the more efficient scores in the basketball and Mike uh, Porter Jr. So yeah, every win from the Detroit Pistons was a statement win so far this year. It's only been four of them. Like I said, they're still four and fifteen. Like let's not beat around the bush here. But that four and fifteen is the most important four and fifteen in this franchise's history thus far. <laughs> and finally, y'all want me to get into it. The Suns and the Lakers. When I tell you 
the timeline, both my timeline and my DM was flooded. When people in real time, I was watching this game in real time, and people were flooding. Was like, "Yo, Zay, you got to talk about this the next time you get on the podcast." And I like I'm saying, "Hey, yo, I'm watching this now, lol," and you know all of this. So at about three and a half minutes left to go in the game, the Suns are up like eight. You know, it's the Suns and it's the Lakers. So you know how this game goes. Well, I think DeAndre Ayton. First of all, DeAndre Ayton, what was you thinking, big dog? Second, we were watching basically just to you know see if anything was going to happen in the last three minutes. Because like I said the game was a formality, but you know, wanted to do my professional due diligence and still watch this game to its conclusion. And I was kind of like shit tweeting through uh through the last three minutes. So essentially, DeAndre Ayton had shoved, or I, I won't say shoved, but had uh fouled. Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves was down for a little bit. And it, like, you know, he stood over him, which dumb move. Like, it was, you know, unprofessional, but whatever. It's kind of basketball in a nutshell. A bunch of professional basketball players that sometimes act unprofessional. Ironic. We live with it. We move on as individuals. Then we get to Patrick Beverly, which Patrick Beverly is already the biggest menace in the basketball. So you know how this goes. Pat shoves DeAndre Ayton in the back. Honestly, thought I caught him. He caught him with an elbow, but watching it over again, um, it was just a you know he just it was a shove because DeAndre Ayton's like a foot taller than him. So you know he's got to get leverage when he shoves him. He, like I said, everything breaks down. I think Devin Devin Booker slapped, <laughs> which D book. We're gonna have to talk about that. D books, D books, D books slaps. Pat, and then a melee breaks out. Not 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 a brawl, but you know, no confrontation breaks out nonetheless. I believe they issued a triple technical on Booker Eight and then Pat Bev, a flagrant on DeAndre Eaton for the, the foul on Austin Reeves. So it was basically two free throws for the Lakers, a free throw for the Suns, and then the Lakers get the ball because of, you know, a flagrant. And then we move on, we play the last three minutes or whatever, and the Suns win. Sure. Cool. And then Devin Booker in the post game basically said, Hey Patrick Beverly. Push him in the chest. Don't push him in the back. And, like, I know this is not going to lead to a playoff series because the Lakers are probably not a playoff team. But this felt like play a playoff-level uh, series with the Suns. Or with the Suns and the Lakers. This felt like playoff basketball. And it's basically it felt similar to, like, um, Memphis and Golden State last year. Where if you remember, like, you know, the Grizzlies and the Warriors would take a little shot, you know, 
Um, Dylan Brooks basically killed Gary Payton the second. <laughs> if you basically, basically, he killed it, Gary Payton the second. Um, and then Draymond uh, basically reenacted six years ago where he kicked Stephen Nash, uh, Stephen Nash, Stephen Adams in the dick. Um, kicked Jared Jackson Jr. Um, it was basically, um, like it was it was a hoss fight. It was a hoss fight to see the two top dogs in the West who would come out on top, and it ended up being Gold, uh, Golden State. Um, but yeah, with this series, like I said, they probably won't amount to anything, but it was pretty fun, to be fair. This was a, it was a, admittedly a fun game between the Lakers and the Suns, which is something I was not, I would never expect to see with the Lakers minus LeBron. This is a fun, it was a fun game. It's honestly been a fun week. Again, didn't get to watch a whole, a ton of games because like I said, my family's in town. And um, honestly, if you hear in your background noise, it's probably my family. Um, but overall, like I said, this has been a pretty, pretty fun, pretty fun week, man. Um, I'll be back. Uh, if you are part of the behind the scenes crew, I'll be back later. But in reality, I'll be back tomorrow. Wink, wink. For a episode of the Thanksgiving podcast, um, where I give my thanks and give my shout outs to the people, give my uh, love to the people that uh brought that has been me through, um. Tomorrow will make 17 months of podcasting. That sounds scary when you look at it. <laughs> um, but for sure, like I said, I get to check out my people, um, get to hang out with my folks. But like I said, I know y'all going to be with y'all folks too. So like I said, give y'all a little, just a little 20 minute podcast just to say what's up and uh, give my love to the people that, that brought me here. Um. But I think we can close the basketball portion of this week's podcast. If you missed the previous 169 episodes of the Take Home Podcast, you check them out on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts, on Amazon, and of course, right here on Anchor. Until next time, I love you. You love me. Let's love each other. See you.